Welcome to Seattle House Mafia's Industry Interviews. I'm Phil, your host, and in each episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with DJs, producers, promoters, and other industry professionals who are passionate about leaving their mark on the dance music scene. But we don't just talk about their careers. We dive deep into their personal lives, what inspires them, where they face challenges, how they balance their personal and professional obligations, and what their aspirations are for the future. Lastly, we end every episode with an exclusive DJ mix so you can experience firsthand our guest's signature sound and style. So join us on this unique journey as we explore the dance music scene and the amazing people who make it happen. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Seattle House Mafia. Right. Our guest today started her DJ career in 2007 in Arizona prior to moving to Seattle in 2015. Best known for her melodic style in both her productions and her energetic DJ sets, she has releases on Uniting Souls Music, Feral One, Late Night Munchies, and Underscore, to name a few. Um, she recently played Flammable as part of the Studio 44 Takeover in December, right? And actually, the whole Seattle House Mafia crew caught your set, uh, basically destroying the dance floor at Monkey Loft <laughs> last Saturday night, alongside Drawbird and Dave Pesner. We want to give a warm Seattle House Mafia welcome to Amy Debu, aka Snapdragon. How are you, Amy? Hi, I'm super honored and really thankful to be here. Thanks for <laughs> bringing me to your little cove and your little safe space. <laughs> super awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for coming. Um, let's start with a little bit of history. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious because you started DJing in 20, 2007, right, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. What did that look like? <sighs> um, DJing, well... I feel not so special in the sense where I got my start in the rave scene. Okay. Um, But 2007 was like an interesting moment in time where when I started, I was actually um, a vinyl purist. Gotcha. (laughs) So um, I had acquired a ton of, um, well, actually, let me rewind. Back then I was playing, like, I was all about hard style, happy hardcore, which is like, totally not anything that you would hear me play now of course but um yeah i'm i'm not gonna shy away from my roots um snapdragon is actually uh it it derived from a rave name that was actually given to me by um my original crew of friends that you know you kind of meet when you see each other regularly in underground house parties and warehouses and uh and yeah um i would say starting um starting to dj it was self-taught i didn't have youtube or any of like the master classes that they have now so it, both for sure <laughs> so so it was really like getting the opportunity to play at after parties um where you know last minute like hey we're gonna gather around and get the decks together can you you know um you know me with my crates uh showing up but um, I didn't really start to make a name for myself until I started getting like the bookings at the raves and okay. and I was uh, I was a undergrad student at Arizona State University so it was known to be a one hell of a <laughs> um, of a party school so um, I was also lucky to start getting gigs um, I would say uh, well 
at raves, but um, at the time I wasn't old enough to play at uh, your conventional like clubs or anything like that until I got my besties fake ID. <laughs> but I would say like I I also started my first gigs at the um, oh, what were they like hookah lounges back when they were like yep. a big thing and that was like where the 18 19 20 year olds like we didn't really have a place to go there weren't that many 18 and up club nights so right. that was kind of where i started to have my niche and then kind of grow from there and as i said like got my besties fake id and then started to try to start playing clubs at 19. <laughs> okay so you said i i was actually curious about the uh the name snapdragon mm -hmm. so you said you were gifted that name yeah um was there a specific reason or reasons you were given that name or is it just well i loving you know yeah like i'm i'm i've always been obsessed with flowers mm. um so and and it's funny living in a place like seattle i've had a lot of friends that work in tech bring first dates and then people would be like oh like snapdragon like the qualcomm processor and i'm like no <laughs> i'm named after the flower actually um if you're in va ever in vashon island there's a snapdragon cafe where you could like sit outside and sit amongst like a bunch of snapdragon flowers and i would highly recommend it if yes. you're ever there but um but yeah it's it's funny listening to what other people like label you or say about you. And I'm definitely an analytical person. And that also translates to like the type of music my, my, uh, that, that I guess like, I just wanted to fast forward to like, sure. um, releasing music. And whenever people ask like, well, what kind of music do you make? I never, I always really felt uncomfortable about answering that question because I always feel like that would put myself in a box. Sure. So it's always been interesting um, listening to what record labels have labeled my tracks as right. when it gets released. And then I'm like, oh, okay, Melodic House and Melodic uh, House and Techno on Beatport. Got it. But um, back to like the whole name, naming like Snapdragon thing. It was just like listening to people say like, well, you're not conventional like a a tulip or like a rose. So I think it was just like the, Oh, the Snapdragon thing just yeah. came up one really random late, late, late night in a warehouse. So, <laughs> so you did, you did the rave scene, the hookah lounge scene you mm -hmm. got and you, and you started with, and I want to talk about your transition into kind of melodic house, but we'll get there in a second. Mm -hmm. But what brought you up to Seattle in 2015? It was actually, um, more of my drive to kickstart my, like day job career um to be honest in arizona i kind of felt like i had hit my glass ceiling as a dj there and i was having a lot of trouble trying to find a like a conventional job um after i got my master's so it was a really hard decision but i i did some market research and i was like okay who's hiring people with my skill set and i looked at my bank account and I was like okay well <laughs> New York is out of the question I guess it's either Seattle or um I think I was narrowing it down to the Bay Area and I decided to come up here on a leap of faith and when I mean a leap of faith like no job um <laughs> I drove up uh, to your driveway on my juke like literally everything that I could fit in my juke at the time <laughs> no way and I yeah I 
I just I knew that I needed to leave Arizona and um, all signs pointed to me coming to a place like the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. And um, to be honest, the only other time that I had been here was like one random trip I took with my best friend maybe like four years prior, but we went to Portland. Right. So I was like doing a lot of research on like, what is the difference between Portland and Seattle? And now that I live here, obviously there's a lot, but um, uh, I think it was like, I knew I needed to be close to water. The, you know, being from the desert, being surrounded by trees was like just a really attractive choice. Um, sustainability and like, environmentalism is a huge thing of mine um it's one of the nerdy like bachelor degrees that i have in so i figured like why not come to seattle and see where i could start to grow professionally but Got it. yeah <laughs> that was pretty much the journey here <laughs> gotcha and are so were you born in arizona that was the first time moving out of state or you were born somewhere else um i was born in the philippines actually ah, okay. so um first generation uh like in my family to actually be raised here but i have like i have a brother who's in arizona um i would say he's like one of the first folks in my entire family and being filipino um when i say my family like our extended family is our family so um i have some younger cousins that have been born here okay. and have like have been raised here but i think that that's kind of like the extent of like the immigrant family story i guess so um you know insert all of the stereotypes of like growing up in the really really strict conservative yeah. household and you know I, i'm lucky that i had a dad that like understood why i needed to be dressed obnoxiously and a bunch of candy and going <laughs> to like warehouse parties because jenko pants yes or, yeah, yeah. I like i like i really was a candy kid like up to here like past my elbows and all the neon that you can possibly imagine you know so oh, i'm yeah. not you know not again not going to lie uh, or you know shy away from my roots for sure so it sounds like your parents have come around a little bit on the dj music thing there for sure okay. i think they finally realized like it's not just this hobby um i think my dad for a while thought that it was like a phase that i was going yeah. through for like the social clout in um college but when he realized like after i moved to seattle and i was telling him like oh you know i'm getting all these gigs up here in seattle and and by the way like my dad's never seen me dj live so no that's, that's still that's still a thing <laughs> well you're gonna be able to send him this video at least and for sure you know, yeah. yeah it'll be it'll be great yeah, yeah. see dad <laughs> <laughs> she's made it yeah no it's good it's good um okay so i'm just you came to seattle and and i guess the has the production thing was that like hand in hand or was that something that started later you know, production has always been, um, when I first started DJing back in Arizona, there were a couple of, um, you know, I would say that the DJs that I was hanging around with and partying with all the time, I was having to, like, as a tax of hanging out with them, I was in the studio, but I had mm. no idea what they were doing. So I would be spending, like, countless hours pre-party after hours in these like producer studios and I would just be listening and not really understanding like 
you know, what plugins they're putting in. Right. Like I was just seeing a lot of logic and reason. And um, I would say my interest didn't really like, it, it's always kind of followed me, but it wasn't until about like 2019 here, you know, pre-pandemic, um, I had found, well, what is now SEMPA, the Seattle Electronic Music Producer Association. Got it. Um, but back then it was just a bunch of producers kind of every Tuesday, I think it was Tuesdays, um, gathering in like Jason Melton's like basement and, um, you know, going over track feedback and learning like tutorials and stuff like that. But, um, I actually kept a diary when I started my producer journey and when I double checked I think when I sat my ass down and was like I'm actually going to capture this journey take this seriously and like really learn and get over the learning curve was I think it was like October 2019 okay so um not that long though. not not that long oh, okay. yeah yeah but I took um you know just like the pandemic has done a lot I, you know, other DJs, myself included, you know, we kind of got sucked into like the live stream for sure hype yeah. and, you know, kudos to all the DJs out there that have, you know, and producers who are continuing to do that hustle, but totally, it's, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work and I'm just like, you know, credits where credits do, <laughs> but like, it's not something that I, I personally can't do. I would be happy to be a guest and I know. Hang don't, out. Listen, don't get me started. Like I try, I've tried to make OBS work for me and we just do not, I'm sure people keep telling me it's easy, but I have the same experience. Like mm -hmm. love to be a guest, but I'm not going to do the live. Paul's got a beautiful live stream set up. I'm not that guy. So I believe in it. I totally understand. Totally. I think it's, it, it's a different drive yeah. for sure. And a different hustle. Um, and I just find that it's like, you have to pay attention to Chad and it's, it's another, yeah, it's, it's There's a little cartoon characters. Yeah. 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 Bless you people for doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, I'm totally with you. No, I'm very much the same. Yeah. The production. Th so the production thing's happening. I'm just trying to get the timeline a little bit here. Mm -hmm. That it was, I guess what I like to find out is, was there a specific event that just got you into dance music in general, right? Like, was there a foundational event, a moment, a song, a person, a something like for me, it was, it was a rave that I went to and I had no idea what a rave was. You mm, know? And then I was mm -hmm. like, holy shit, this mm -hmm. is a whole new, was, was there a moment for you or is it just something kind of slid into? Well, I, I feel like electronic music has always been a part of me or kind of okay. found its way deep, you know, into my heart deeply seated since I was, a kid and just to nod to that um like electronic music for me was like the way that I got introduced to it was growing up um I wasn't really allowed as I said like strict Asian parents I was not allowed to go out and have sleepovers and all these types of things and um the approved list of activities was always things that I was able to do with my brother or my like guy cousins okay. and um, back then in Vegas, where I grew up, um, and where I'm from, where I would say like my hometown is, is, um, back then, uh, in Chinatown, they used to have these like land places where you could like 
sit in front of a computer right. and like play um like counter-strike and all these like super nerdy with a bunch like, of other yeah okay. totally so the way that i got exposed was basically getting to hang out in these like internet cafes and they were just playing like this like euro trashy like initial d type like driving like happy hardcore and like high energy trance um so that's where the happy hardcore thing kind totally. of totally okay. and and i was also not allowed to really like like one of the other activities that i was allowed to do was hang out in arcades so like i took very like i was just obsessed with dance dance revolution so that was kind of how <laughs> love it yeah so honestly like a lot of my initial friends uh even before i found raves like i had i had built friendships and relationships around putting that quarter on the dance dance revolution machine and being like it's my turn or like hey do you want to like you can keep up like should we do doubles together so that was kind of like that so when you ask that question i think of like okay well there's two moments for me there's like that introduction into electronic music but then for for producing i think um i would say the moment that i knew that i had a knack for it and i should lean into it was uh in the pandemic um Hector Rodriguez, um, who's who runs um, underscore recordings, he was doing a remix contest through the Seattle Electronic Music Producers Association. And I just thought, like, what the hell? I'll just join and um, get the stems. And, uh, you know, like I I was just kind of I, I gravitated towards it because it was a means to finish a song by a deadline. And so um, I ended up like winning the remix contest and i think that was like the gas i really needed because i was up against other local producers that i like really looked up to and admired so when i like won first place i was just like that you know uh starry-eyed moment and you know i i kind of got a lot of encouragement from you know other male producer counterparts that are like dude like that was awesome and nice so that was where i started to kind of lean closer in and be like i think there's something to this i like that i can express myself in this medium that's the step above just djing a set and that's kind of led me to where i'm at now okay yeah and so you you did that this was was there a conscious moment where you transitioned from kind of that harder happy hardcore sound to the more melodic I mean, they're still melodic in in the trance and stuff like that. I get that, but, mm-hmm. but like, was what 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 transitioned you into a little bit slower, a little less, you know? Yeah, I love that question because I think anyone that's been a DJ or um, you know produces DJ like content for a lot like years, you know, I think that your taste and your preference changes totally, and. I, when I first moved to Seattle, you know, I knew that I had to start all over again as a DJ and I had to really like understand, okay, well, what does Seattle want? What do they, what do people consider like as fire, like bangers and stuff like that? And um, when I first moved here, that was like, I think at the, the rise of like Dirty Bird Tech House and everything like that. Right. So 
um, there was a compromise that I had to make where I had to start really getting, you know, like Seattle loves house music. And I actually had always loved house music. But when I was in Arizona, there wasn't really like a lot of places and a lot of gigs where I was really booked to play that right. sound. So I really leaned into that. Um, but there was a um, working through the Studio 44 crew. There's this summer um, uh, concept called Habitat. Mm-hmm. And uh, that concept itself was, you know, as someone who just joined the team, it was a real challenge to be like, oh, so I have to put myself in this really specific box where it's all about the deep melodic and minimal sounds. And I found that through that challenge, I actually like loved it. And I, yeah. So um, at the time it really resonated with me as a person kind of coming out of my twenties and into like my thirties and um, really spoke to my soul. So I really felt like as I started to produce more music without giving myself any expectations around what genre it'll be, I've noticed that it'll just gravitate more towards melodic sounds and um and i would say that that was what marked the start of this chapter which is like me really swimming and owning this now apparently uh you know this attribute of mine right. which is like like this bitch knows like melodies and whatnot so <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's it's interesting we we uh I don't want to break the world into two people, but I will for a second, but Mm -hmm. it's a little cliche, but I do find that there's, there's people that their musical taste continues to evolve, whether they're DJs, producers, or just music lovers. And then you have the people that still listen to the shit that they listened to in high school. And like, they're stuck. I worked a construction job for several summers Mm -hmm. and these guys, I'm telling you, they're in their forties and we listened to nineties alt rock for like two. I mean, that was all they ever listened to because that was their, the best time of their life, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. So I always think it's cool to see that evolution and you can tell in people's productions, especially, but even in their DJ sets, like, Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Just the growth. Like, I mean, some of y'all don't know that I'm watching, but when I, when I'm like really into your sets and I see that you're progressing and changing as an artist, like I see that. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Today, you know, I just mentioned, we, we saw you at the monkey loft and, and I'll be honest, it was the first set I've listened to some of your, I listened to a SoundCloud mix. I listened to some other stuff of yours, um, some of your original work, but the monkey loft was the first time seeing you actually play a set. And I was going to ask, is that, is that a typical set? Or was that something you were playing to the crowd a little bit? Was it a combo? Or is that just kind of your signature sound? Curious. Oh, gosh. That's a really, really good question, actually. Um, I kind of overanalyzed a lot about how I was going to show up for that set on Saturday because I was the only femme yep. producer releasing on that release so i wanted to really show up yeah tell us about the release too i want to make sure what was that so the purpose of the party was an actual release okay so the purpose of the party um it was a uniting souls digging deep um party and as general hype for the upcoming um this upcoming drawbird ep release um drawbird has two tracks on there one of which is a toy room and then he had um three 
uh, well, three technically, uh, well, I wanted to say like three artists, but that's not true. Um, Cause it's me, Dave Pesner, and then there's a third remix that was remixed by Jordan Strong and No One. So I guess it's kind of like a duo collab, collab there. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, but uh, to, well, I know that No One and Jordan Strong are not technically local. Right. So, you know, as a way to hype the release, um, you know, I was obviously super stoked to be part of the lineup. So again, um, and, and, and needless to say, I'm also a huge, huge fan of Dave Pesner. Me so too. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. So there was like a little bit of like trying to be like, okay, well, there's gonna be eyes on Pesner. Yep. So I I just really overhyped myself. I was like, there's this opportunity to get more eyeballs on like my name and and so from a production standpoint, I was really like, uh we can talk more about this in a second, but like I actually redid that remix decidedly last minute. Like it, the 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 version that's coming out now is completely different than the original version that I submitted. And um, only and the only reason for this, and thank you, Pesner, is uh, I think Pesner was submitting his a little bit later. So when I was following up on um, notes that I was given for the release uh i got an extra week and i was like you know what i will take it and um i really knew that i wanted to make sure that when i released next to someone like pesner that it wasn't going to be like super duper lame <laughs> sounding <laughs> <Totally>. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah got it and you said you wanted to i i, I want to make sure we don't skip over but you wanted to talk more about specifically about that um oh um it's just more about I guess unless we wanted to talk like more into like more of the production side, but I we would can say talk about whatever you want. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I didn't answer your original um, okay. question, answer which that, was like, that. right. Which your, your question was like, was, is that like your usual sound? Yes. Was I just playing to, it's interesting because whenever I show up as Snapdragon to a, a party that I'm supposed to play. Like I'm extremely cognizant about the venue and the people that are showing up. So, um, I never plan pre-plan my sets. Like okay. it's never like a, okay, this is the song I'm going to start off with. And then this is like the track I'm going to end with. And I, you know, I have some tracks that I'm like, I would love to have the opportunity to make sure I play it, sure. but it just all kind of lives in this like, super messy playlist that I just name for the sake of the gig. I like record box it and then I just show up ready to go. Yep. And I'm, you know, I, I get there early to just catch a vibe. Um, you know, the DJ before me like left me at 127. So I had to, you know, bring the energy back down before I brought it back up. But, you know, I'm all, that's like f for that purpose, you know, I always try to make sure that I'm not, sticking to that type of agenda or like pre-plan because shit like that happens all the For time. Sure. So um, I would say it's making sure that I could play at least one of my tracks, including, um, you know, the, the Drawbird remix that, uh, that, <laughs> that I, I assume that people are there to see me play, but um, it's the time of, 
it's also the time of night that I'm playing yep. too. So when you're playing from 1130 to about 1 a.m. at Monkey Loft on a Saturday, you know, people are not there to just have a happy cocktail hour and right. like sulkin lounge vibes like no. So I'm there to contribute any way I can. So I would say it was definitely more like playing to the crowd, but with my signature style, which is like all the Sendy tracks that I play, I'm always thinking about how like my selfish preferences being on the dance floor and thinking like, okay, if being this age, this demographic and this type of mood, you know, I always assume when people show up to a, a show on a Saturday night or on the weekends, you know, hashtag weekend vibes, you're there to like let loose and forget about whatever it is right. you're facing. So I really try to lean into that and give myself permission to um, get Sunday where appropriate. But, you know, knowing that Pesner was playing after me, I always wanted to, you know, maybe call it an old school DJ thing, but I always try to make sure it's the last couple of tracks are like this easy send for the next person sure. that goes after me, you know? So yeah, it's like nice and warmed up, but I might've been a little bit extra as you know, I like, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you even though you probably don't need an introduction. <laughs> yeah. So getting caught up in the moment as well. No, I mean, yeah, you can, you can do that two ways and I've done both where I've really screwed over the next DJ and, I, <laughs> and I've set them up proper and I've, and it's happened to me too, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've walked into, you've walked into like, whoa, like they're playing peak hour stuff and you're, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a battle, but I, I do understand the going in with an idea and, and truly like it was the same for me when I was playing out a lot, I'd go in with a loose plan and then usually abandon it after like two tracks. Mm -hmm. you know, just yeah. <laughs> but that was fun. You know, that's, that's the way I like to do it. So like when you decide to abandon it, like, you know, what, what is the reason? Is it because other, you know, is it because you're catching vibes from the dance floor? For like, sure. is it adrenaline? Yeah, I think it's both. I think, I think catching vibes from the dance floor for sure. Like thinking this could work, but this will work kind mm -hmm. of thing, you know, going yeah. through that, but still, and and this is what I love about what you said. You're still being true to your sound. You're just making choices that fit that moment and that mm -hmm. vibe and that time slot. And at the same time, said, and this is what people don't understand. Like, there's a there's beyond choosing tracks or making tracks and building these playlists. Like, there is so much real time decision making that happens when Absolutely. you're doing. If you're a good DJ, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think sometimes that's the variable that can really separate the good from the great DJs actually. And and I think the great DJs do that and they're willing to look at it and they don't have that. I mean, you've seen these festival DJs which have these pre-planned like, mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll even play the same set sometimes in different festivals. Like yes. I cannot even imagine that yes. personally. I, right? I know. I'd love and the opportunity to, to try, but like I couldn't imagine. Right, that. Yeah. right. Um, yeah, it's uh, like, what you said earlier about like, especially larger known producers or almost like even famous uh, producers and, you know, them being known or being caught, you know, playing sets that they've played like, at, it's like how in today's world, like, how would you, you know, it's only a matter of time before people catch on. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. And um, like, I think what you mentioned is another thing that I'm starting to see this difference between the like 
older school or like been there, done that DJs. And then this like influx of new DJs that have either, you know, decided to hone their craft as a DJ during the pandemic. And now they're getting gigs. And like, I'm starting to see that these worlds collide now because there's this, um, you know, there's so much about DJ culture that I don't think that we talk about, which is like the DJ etiquette. Yeah. Like, surprise there's there is one (laughs) and just a heads up (laughs) yeah like you you can't just you know like congrats on getting the dj gig but you can't necessarily just show up and just like play whatever the hell you want like there's a lot of um like you said there's real-time decision making there's also pre-planning um like we can't just haul crates of everything to gigs anymore like there's there's like software and constraints that we have to go through. And I think it's interesting because like, I, I know we were just talking about it a little bit before we started this interview, but you know, talking about what we do for day jobs, you know, as a user experience researcher, I'm always constantly thinking about like, how are people, um, you know, like how are attendees like actually perceiving like the set that I'm playing or like this, the set that I'm playing in the context of like these four sets that are part of the programming right. that night. You know what I mean? No, that's a super interesting lens. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I made that connection earlier, but I'm glad you brought it up because yeah, being a user, I mean, you're thinking about how a user interprets whatever it is you're putting in front of them, whether it's audio or visual mm-hmm. or whatever. And so that does really translate. Well, it almost gives you a bit of an advantage, but mm-hmm. it also could be maybe, my guess is could be a little bit exhausting, a little fatiguing if you're constant, like, do you overthink a little bit? I do all the time. Like I can't turn that off. (laughs) It's something that I've just learned to embrace or, you know, cope (laughs) when needed. But, um, but yeah, like, like in the monkey loft, you notice like there's not, uh, screens of like audio, like visuals. So you don't have attendees just sitting there, like getting to trip out on some cool visuals. So I really feel like, the monkey loft is a really cool place where you could get heady and people can follow you there because I think like I, my, my hunch and my hypothesis is like it precisely because it lacks that visual element, unless you're like in the gallery, of course. But um, yeah, just being under the good old disco ball and just seeing swaths of people around you. I mean, same thing with flammable, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you have this, this purest, dance music purist crowd and what i love about those crowds is and and there was some of this at the monkey loft maybe not quite as heavy as Mm -hmm. as like flammable but when you switch a bass line they cheer you know they're like that like is goosebumpy you know what i'm saying yeah i've done flammable once like years ago and it was Mm -hmm. still one of my favorite gigs i've ever played right um but yeah it's just like when you have that educated crowd oh yeah they're judging you but at the same time they're totally participating they're absolutely so participating and they're there to like they they want you to take them on a journey and For the, those sure. are those are the type of performances that i absolutely love well i was going to ask you like if if we were to you know present past whatever is there like one particular gig that's your favorite gig that you've played to date and it may be a hard one to answer at least up there is one of your favorite gigs hmm that's been up there oh okay i feel like i should have prepared for this question (laughs) no it's all right um but okay to be honest i'm shocked at myself for saying this but 
I recently played an open to close set at Cherry mm. at Cremework. Yep, yep. Um, I think it was like the beginning of this month. Yeah. And I was scared shitless because um, when you're responsible for open to close, like that, you are it. Like you do not have a promo team behind you. Like like the the outcome of the night is 100 percent dependent on your ability to promote yourself as an artist yeah. tell people the event is happening and then not only like attract people like just um even if you do get people that are like just foot traffic like you know just keeping them there like there's like you said real-time decisions right. um i it was memorable for me because I was able to number one, play a couple of my own tracks and got to see it like well received. But I, it, it was pivotal in me realizing like when I looked out in the audience, it was actually a much younger demographic and crowd than I had anticipated. And because of that, it had forced me to play and dig a little bit deeper in my USBs than I had like originally anticipated, but I was able to keep like a decent crowd all night. And I felt really proud of that because I've had other friends that have done the open and close thing and hasn't been like as, you know, it's, it's always just been a really stressful experience, especially when you're just a local, you know, you're not like, I don't know, like you're not like Mala coming in for an open and close set. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it was just like an like a confidence boost where I was like, okay, well, I I know that if I could do an open and close set, what can I do if I go beyond the Seattle borders or nice. if I, you know, so it's just really gotten sure. me like thinking on a meta level about like, well, if if things are not as they seem now, then like let's let's explore this, let's like let's push boundaries right now because that's kind of where I'm at in this post pandemic situation so for sure no that that's interesting and it, it makes sense but it is it, it it's an extra layer of stress i think having those really long sets mm-hmm. but it also gives you a lot of freedom to take it where you want to take it as oh, long totally. as the crowd's on board right oh it's, yeah you got to yeah. make sure they're coming with you um and i know we've talked a lot about positive stuff and you can go as deep as you want in this or not but mm-hmm. you know as you as you mentioned, you're you're a, you're a you're a femme DJ producer. You're a small. You make up a small group in this particular scene. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's challenges, different challenges, different blockers than you've experienced, or or than than maybe the males experience in this in this scenario? Or I'm I'm just really curious because okay, so I'll I'll, I'll preface this by saying there's two things. First thing for the audience, I've never met you before, right? This mm-hmm. is the very first time oh, we've yeah. actually met. Which we're getting is, real. We're getting real. The, the second thing is this, you're the first femme artist that I brought into the studio and we have more, you know, on deck, but I was just super excited to get somebody in here and talk oh, a little totally. bit about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, as much or as little as you want, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody's curious about kind of that experience. 100%. Um, I don't know. There's like a lot of, like when when you think about your journey as like just an artist or being able to like perform, you know, there's that ability to be noticed or even um, become noticed or taken seriously. So I, as my 
like I'm just gonna be super honest. I felt Please. like I was going to parties for maybe about two, three years before I really felt like I was getting any. And when I mean like going to parties, it was like I was going there to like network and like, you know, I am. I struggle with like anxiety. So like even putting myself in front of people that I don't know, but it's like a needed part of the, you know, nightlife to, for, you know, people are not going to know who you are or book you unless they see you and know that you're real. Right. So, um, I would say like getting over that hunch was a, was a journey, but you know, now that, you know, now that I'm here and on the show, like it's, it's great and awesome to finally be recognized and have homes, right? Like there's uh, you know, I play regularly at the monkey loft. I can't, I can't necessarily say that a lot of femme artists who look like me can say the same thing. Right. And it's, you know, I, I would say that moving here from a place like Arizona, where I will say like most of my following are Latino or Latinx folks. So, you know, it was, I was really used to looking out in the crowd and seeing a very diverse crowd. And if I could be completely honest, being here in Seattle, it's not completely the same way, right? I don't think that we're as diverse as we were or, or like, comparing my my experiences uh looking at audiences in the southwest but um you know i all i can say is i've been trying to actively pay attention to all of the femmes and theys and like transgender artists who are coming out and wanting to still you know express their art or even just knowing that um you know like for instance uh i am a uniting souls resident and this upcoming pride um you know digging deep has monthly like has a monthly cadence at uh monkey loft but for pride you know ramiro was like hey i really want you know you as um residents to like like what you know you have an open mic like what what, right. what what should you do and so um alex legaspi myself and emily griffin griffin we were like you know we should use our slots either as a b2b to like bring up and put more eyeballs to like up-and-coming artists or um you know and and and, and that type of thing so i would like to say that like you know this upcoming um was it it's may <laughs> so next month which is going to be pride month um okay. i'm bringing up a uh, khmer which i actually um saw her play at uh this community showing of this documentary called underplayed i don't know if you've heard of it i haven't but i'll check but it out. um i it's a it's a great documentary and I would say that it still speaks true to a lot of like the sexism and misogyny that um, us femme artists still encounter today. But um, Emily had this awesome event planned where it was like about, uh, I, I think it's like one or two hours of like socializing. And then there was actual film that we like we like you know we all piled into an actual theater and like watched the film and then um you know had more of like the 
happy hour type networking afterwards. And it was out here after actually. It's like that side um venue next to the crocodile. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's where the venue was. But um yeah, to be honest, like that casted a lot of questions around me of like, oh wait, I'm I am a statistic. Like I this is still a thing that's happening, even though I know that I'm on the front lines. I'm the one that's playing, but you know, sometimes it it does feel like I'm a little tokenized sometimes because mm, yeah. I look around the room or whenever I see new lineups happen, like the first thing that I do is question like, well, who's an AAPI artist? Like who's, you know, like, so yeah, like, you know, I'm just doing my part. I'm trying sure. to uh, lift up other femmes. Um, yeah. I'm trying to also like actively form alliances and coalitions with other femmes in the scene. Um, You know, I'm also trying to actually get more acquainted with other like femme centric platforms or even labels like outside of Seattle and trying to figure out how can I, you know, one of my goals as an artist is to just like break outside of, this glass ceiling that is Seattle and, and, and that starts with networking with your peers outside of, you know, outside of your city and outside of your state. So, you know, um, fingers crossed that, that will only bring good things, but you know, as my journey goes towards the outer, you know, uh, outside of Seattle as, as what, as I would hope to achieve, um, you know, I'm always trying to make sure that I'm like bringing others with me and lifting others up and, you know, whether that looks like giving feedback on tracks or um, inviting people to my studio to just like, you know, whether that be like help them transition from like a DJ controller to their first club gig, right. you know, on CDJs sure. or like um, whatever I can do to help build that confidence because I think honestly like being a femme producer or and even just an artist you feel I walk into the room a lot feeling less than and that's not like I'm just being completely honest and I always have to like tell myself like no like I worked just as hard if not more to be here to like I've earned my stripes like I, I care a lot about my craft and you know like I so whenever I show up to like gigs, like on Saturday, you know, I, even though I mentioned that I don't pre-plan sets, like even if I'm working with new tracks, cause I, I started on the vinyl days. Right, right. So there's this comfort level of like, Oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable playing this out in the club because I haven't heard it end to end yet. Right. So I, I still carry that like ritual with me. So like, you know, um, even Saturday I found myself like making sure I did like 30 minute warm ups in my like studio to just make sure that I felt like, nice. you know, uh, kind of like how athletes, you know, they got to like do their warm up jogs or their like lap hamstring if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, like every other person up there that's being hired to entertain, like I take, maybe it's my Vegas roots, but like when I'm paid to be there on stage too, like I, I'm an entertainer like you you paid me professionally to show up and be prepared like you know that that means like not 
not losing my headphones, like having <laughs> multiple USBs ready to go in case one takes the shitter, yep. like things like that, you know? So no, that's, I mean, that's, that's helpful. And it's, it is a good perspective for me. Like I, I so a few things when we, when we sort of plan who to invite, to mm-hmm. come in here and relative, this is a relatively new show, but trust me, there's like a, there's a long list and a short list of people we want to bring in. Mm-hmm. And I think a few of the elements that are super important to, to the whole Seattle house mafia crew is a, are they music lovers? And mm-hmm. I know that sounds corny, but I cannot tell you how many DJs and performers I know that aren't necessarily music lovers that are doing, I can't pretty, wrap my head around that. To right? be honest. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're out there though. You know, them, right. I mean, yeah. yeah, you've seen them, but, but the other part is, are they putting the work in and not just putting the work in for themselves, but putting the work in and providing a platform. I mean, kind of what we're trying to do here is provide this platform to help elevate and to help magnify and help bring exposure to, to other people that, Mm -hmm. that we believe in. Right. And and it sounds like you're doing the same thing and you have a supportive crew that you're a part of. So that's, it is, it's, it's super important to us too. Like if we don't necessarily want to bring people in here who aren't putting the work in, Mm. see who have that, that ethic. And I could tell like, and and my whole crew could tell like when we were watching you on stage, you know, there was energy there. There was things happening. It was great. We had a blast. I mean, my wife, Honestly, she's not like a dance music person and I'm kind of glad like she, she didn't grow up in the scene. Of course. Right. So when she tells me she likes something, then I, I know it's, you know, I know it, it like makes me happy because she's sometimes she's like, it all sounds the same. It's kind oh, of totally. Mm-hmm, and, you know, yeah. So she's like, no, I really liked her set. I was like, okay. That's oh, wow. Good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I really appreciated when you sent me that note yeah. as well. I was like, I'm like, I totally feel like you weren't just blowing smoke. No. Like, it was like a real, like, it was a real compliment. I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't real. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So, no. Yeah, yeah. no, I appreciate that too, yeah. for sure. Like, um, yeah just DJing as an art you know I've we all you know like I know right now the whole thing about like AI and like oh my gosh AI is gonna take our jobs like no like I absolutely like robots and AI will not take over a DJ's job let me tell you like because there's that energy exchange and there's that like yeah and to be honest it's it's reciprocal like yeah. it, whenever when I'm up there like like when I'm leaning in and then people are leaning in to like my set it's it's 1000% a mutual like For connection sure. like you're here to escape reality like I'm here to escape reality with yep. you like you're not yeah. gonna get that shit from a robot. No, May, no. at least for a few years, right? At least yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> totally. So I let's I mean, I guess so two things I want to mm-hmm. know about you before we jump into sort of sort of future um mm-hmm. what do you have hobbies outside of music i mean you sound pretty busy right with work <laughs> and music and all that are there are there things you do outside of music uh, that you're into? let's see um pretty nerdy um so i will be playing a lot of overwatch when i'm not i don't even know what that is yeah sorry it's a <laughs> it's an online like um uh, five versus five like uh, okay. yeah multiplayer online game so you're a gamer Blizzard. yeah i guess Submit like it. okay i <laughs> if if playing at least 10 to 10 plus hours a week constitutes being a gamer then i guess i'm a gamer yeah, but gamer. um <laughs> but yeah i'll i i definitely do that as like a de-stressor because you know 
creativity is not a faucet that you can just turn on and on um at least for me yeah. so like when i've completed a track or um i get a like a breather between dj gigs like you i will definitely be leaning into the video games or i read a lot like a ton of books non-fiction so I'm super not interesting in that sense like i'm a researcher so like yeah. i my brain is always on so if i'm if i want to like read i'm going to be reading um books and nonfiction, especially like up-to-date research um i'm gonna yeah. put you on the spot what was the last the last book that you just finished or the the book you just finished or the last one maybe that made an impact uh, if you're that book. okay now we're getting into interesting territory because <laughs> Um, I'm actually trying to read up a lot on ADHD right now. Okay. So um, I was diagnosed back when I was like, this is way back when I was like 13 or 12. But, um, you know, back then it was like, hey, you can't have uh, like you have trouble paying attention and you're inattentive. So take these pills. And, you know, by the way, it's like super old school, extremely old doctor, you know, For like, sure. and so no one, no one ever really like had that conversation about like, hey, you have an executive functioning disorder. And this is what this means for people like you navigating everyday life, right. such as like getting your homework done or like showing up for things like study groups, like. I didn't really embrace that until recently when I started to like take the plunge with like my mental health right. and, and you know, I, I did this before the pandemic, but you know, during the pandemic, it's like even more of a reason to, but, um, I've really, yeah, like I've, uh, the reason for that is, uh, it's to answer your question, it's this, uh, Ron Sterling, he is actually, this um he, he's a re he's retired now but he's uh this pra well he was a practicing um psychiatrist specializing in adhd and he wrote a book about demystifying adhd and um yeah so i'm kind of starting there before i kind of yeah we'll I have to continue that conversation i've done a lot of diving into that myself actually. totally i was diagnosed as an adult believe it or not so it's pretty see yeah. um fun fact uh adhd is actually not a childhood diagnosis anymore considering that the i think it was like the average age of diagnosis now is like 31 it's crazy yeah. so yeah yeah and so yeah as i'm as i'm kind of embracing existentialism right now being you know it's been a long time since i've been looking for work as a researcher i've been trying to turn my gifts towards like adhd and like adhd coaching so yep. i've been really thinking like you know mentoring people in music has been really one thing and then like exploring what adhd means from like a create like from someone who's creative and my well-being is inherently tied to getting projects done yep. it's been a really fascinating area for me and i'm hoping that like one day i could like help people get through that because i yeah i have a lot of like philosophies about helping people do more especially sure. creative types like for sure. art we need more art we need more we definitely we do. need more art especially now so yeah. well on that note i think if we look at um kind of future i know you talked about getting out of the seattle market and mm -hmm. expanding your brand um is there like 
big bold goals you have you have certain things that you have like in your wallet your purse whatever where you're just like am i how are you checking a box are you looking to accomplish certain things yeah um, and and are you hitting them are you on track well one of the things that one of one of my goals is to actually like finish an ep nice and that is a challenge because i'm you know my approach is to write them in like in singles form and then like seeing which ones like I could group together. But yep. um, I'm trying to quarrel with that. Like, well, do I ship these out for compilation releases or do I like really keep these close to my heart and mm-hmm. release them as an EP? And then which EP or like, does this EP sound appropriate for these? Like, you know, th- there's, there's still that element of like being very emotionally tied to my music and sure. then like still making, myself expect rejections like left and right because i know that that's kind of the world that we live in when you're trying to ship your stuff out to labels but i've been doing a lot of research and you know considering i've been dealing with a ton of rejections already in the job market i figured like why not (laughs) like why not suscept myself to 50 more rejections from music labels because like i i'm kind of getting that thicker skin now yeah you know and i'm kind of starting to get like unapologetic about who i am and what i bring to the table so that's kind of that's kind of where this is at. no i it's amazing though i don't know if you you saw terry jacento's uh episode but one of the things i was so naive about i i i had assumed that like when it when a producer releases a track or has some success with a track then like labels are chomping at the bit for the next track and what i learned from terry is like it's a grind every fucking time. Like, and, and I was just, it was a, it was so enlightening to me, like how much work that is. So I have just like this whole new respect for people who are producing and shopping labels and doing all that stuff. Totally. Like, um, you know, I actually got a little bit of the, that insight from Dave Pesner. Yeah. Um, just because actually it was like weeks before last weekend's show. Um, I was really thankful for him to, like open up a studio and just kind of like show me and miss mindy the ropes almost kind of like an unofficial like field visit like and we were students (laughs) we're like i know and i was like oh my gosh i'm going to take advantage of someone who's like just like open to share their you know like a piece of their brain and you know it was just that piece of it came where you know he actually shared a little bit about you know his touring days and being like the at the epitome of like you know the the drawbird fame right and it it just kind of validated what i suspected which is like it's a grind right like you have to be able to have all this music set up and having released music myself when you sign like when you sign something it might be in the moment for you and a reflection of like what you're going through but when the public actually gets to purchase it but you know experience it it might not be like six plus months from then and then when you think about that from like a touring artist perspective or especially if you're like you know in the financial grind like i can only imagine like you're not seeing that money or that sales until like much later which is which by the way i don't do this for the money but (laughs) no i don't don't think i don't think a lot of us do i don't think you i don't know if you can like yeah yeah like i i've thought about that too i'm like you know if i could continue to be unemployed right now and just make music would i still be happy and like the answer is yes yeah 
Wow. I can just live off of ramen and keep keep <laughs> giving it. you be- keep keep feeding you beets. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and I want to get you behind the decks. Oh I feel yeah, like I've for just, sure. I've just like peppered you with questions. No, yeah, no, I love it. Like, yeah, it's no, been a great experience. Yeah, it's been yeah. great. And I, 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 I'm, you know, is before before we let you loose, is there anything else that we missed that you want to bring up? And and also including, you know, I know you said you have some stuff for upcoming Pride. Any other shout outs, um, any new releases mm, on mm-hmm. the burner? Yeah. Um, let's see. Other than the Drawbird remix uh, that I have coming out on the Drawbird EP, it'll be out. Oh, I should have had this written down, but That's it's okay. for sure going to be released um, end of next month. I think it's okay. going to be out on like Beatport um pre-order and then like no later than like the 26 it'll be out in the public realm for purchase um i have a very um close track that's near and dear to my heart that um just signed the paperwork it's going to be released through the upcoming feral one um compilation so um yeah denny kindred's been like an amazing label boss for that and i've heard good um, things oh yes yeah. which i think you should i should i think you should bring them onto the show cool um and uh this this song actually i'm not gonna play it tonight but it's called uh <laughs> i'm like blanking i'm like well because <laughs> <laughs> I, I changed i changed the track name uh last minute but um what is closure anyway and uh a lot of my tracks actually have when, when i look back at all of my releases a lot of my tracks have really been like when i think about when i've locked myself in the studio and i've spent late nights like grinding on them i've really kind of been using it almost like a like I feel like a corny artist when I say this, but really like music is my diary. Yep. Um, this original track of mine, every time I've had a rejection email or letter from those like, this is, this, this is it. This is gonna like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking like, I'm going to move on from this chapter. I'm going to be free from these like binds that constrain me. And then <laughs> only to get like the, thank you for your interest. We've decided to move on to other candidates. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, and a lot of that has been like me spending countless hours, uh, getting ready and preparing, you know, as you know, for tech interviews are yeah. no joke. Mm-mm. Um, especially with ADHD brain, now I feel like like I'm like going the extra mile, having to like write documentation per interview. But anyways, um, I'm really excited for y'all to hear it. Um, I'm not sure when the compilation is gonna come out because I know that the demo submission is like finalizing or wrapping up right now. So, um, but I will say that it's very emotionally charged. Um, it's definitely if you're going through a period of time where you want answers and you're not getting them and you're kind of living in this perpetual state of existentialism, then this tracks for you. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's enough just on looking at your song titles, like, uh, 
there's enough for you to come back in and we can talk about mm-hmm. some of that stuff. So shadow work was one I have a question mark about, which yeah. we're going to leave that one. We're yeah. going to hang that one as a cliffhanger because <laughs> I want to talk about that yeah. for next time. Um, and yeah, I, I really would love to just cut you loose on the decks. And I just want to ask if there's anything you want to say about what you're going to play tonight. Um, any plan? I, I think I have an idea, <laughs> but yeah. It, uh, the plan is to have no plan other perfect. than at least playing at least playing one or two tracks of mine that are either going to be released, AKA the Drawbird remix. Um, And then we'll see. I mean, I have a lot of my tracks loaded, so we'll just see, like, it's going to be kind of a mixture of tracks that have gotten me like really excited, you know, just the the floor dance floor pleasers kind of thing. um, General feel good tracks. And then, yeah, like to your point, things that, tracks with like that the subliminal messaging around like what i'm going through at the moment so love it yeah, yeah. well good well thank you for coming thank through. you so much for having me now we're excited to get you <laughs> on the mix and, and uh yeah we really appreciate the time yeah well this was an honor thank you for having me and looking forward to just following the journey of the show absolutely yeah i know it's in its beginning so it's in really its beginnings, but yeah, yeah. We appreciate it. yeah well Thank you for having me. (laughs) Seattle House Mafia. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Seattle House Mafia's industry interviews. If you want to watch the full video of this interview, including an exclusive mix from our guest, head over to seattlehousemafia.com forward slash YouTube. And before you go, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. For all things Seattle House Mafia, including our upcoming shows, latest mixes, gear reviews, and more, you can visit seattlehousemafia.com.